0: Bad news on my feet, bad news out the bar. And good morning. This is Alicia Bales. I'm live in the Talmadge studio and on the Zoom is Dr. Drew Colfax. Good morning, Drew.
1: Good morning, Alicia. How are you? I'm um,
0: good. It's a whole different feeling doing this show in the morning.
1: It, it feels a little different, I got to say. <laughs> but, you know, it'll work, I'm sure.
0: Yep. And hopefully we we still have uh, a lot of listeners who um, are looking forward to the coronavirus update.
1: You know, there's nothing more exciting in one's week than this, I imagine.
0: Truly. Yeah. So um, you are Zooming in today, but we're still going to open up the phone lines and... um, give people a chance to ask questions. The number here in the studio is 895-2448. Of course, that's in the 707 area code. Uh, What do you have for us today in terms of coronavirus? Well, I guess we should mention, too, that um, our new schedule here for the show. Do you want to talk about that?
1: Sure. We're going to do Tuesday mornings from 9 to 10, but every other Tuesday. So today being the first in this time slot, and then we'll do this Every two weeks, at least through the end of the year, and then we'll sort of see how the dust has settled around this pandemic at that point.
0: Right. So every second and fourth Tuesday we're gonna alternate with Marvin Dr. Marvin Trotter and Mind Body Health. So it'll be, yeah, Tuesday morning will be like doctors on the air.
1: Great. Yeah. That's what we need.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Open lines. Okay, so what you got for us for in terms of coronavirus this week?
1: Well, this week uh, Mendocino County has remained fairly static. Um, we're still averaging around 15 cases per day per hundred thousand, um, which is, you know, certainly higher than we would like to see. Um, it's about you know, almost three times the rate of Sonoma County, for example, um, bringing our total case count up to 7,582. We still have 11 hospitalized in the county, so still in double digits. And the isolation and quarantine count is still sitting around uh, 200 uh, people um, at any one t- point in time. Um, the two week trend in the county is pretty flat. Uh, we're just really not getting a lot better, but the good news is we also are not getting much worse. Um California is continuing to improve. So though we haven't shown much improvement, the two-week trend for California um, is down by about 30%. Um, and our daily state case counts down around 4,000 a day, uh, which is, you know, reasonably good, particularly compared to the um, surge in August and September or the earlier surges that we've had in the state.
0: But it sounds like the numbers we've settled on are still quite high.
1: They are. You know, they're they're certainly high enough to keep the hospitalization rate in the double digits. Um, and they're higher than uh, many of the surrounding counties, not all of them. And we seem to have been at this, this sort of static level now for, you know, four to five weeks. Um, I mean, it came down to this point and we haven't really shown significant improvement. I'm not sure we're going to see a whole heck of a lot more improvement um, as the weather gets a little bit more rainy and we move inside and we move into viral season, etc. So we might we might find that this is a sustained plateau for the next month or two. You know, optimistically, um, I, I might add, it, it could it could worsen yet again as well.
0: How is that on the ground for you in the ER in Ukiah? Are you still seeing a lot of cases come through? I remember last time we were on the air, you hadn't diagnosed any cases that week.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah, no, i I've have we've been seeing them um, for certain, um, and it's, it's really just yeah, you know, it's become another infectious disease in in some sense. I mean, it certainly is a disease that has a high um, healthcare um, burden, um, you know, with a fair number of hospitalizations, but it's, it's something that we're now so familiar with, and we're not really facing, um, the risk of an overwhelmed healthcare system with vaccination rates, such as they are, um, that it's just become, yeah, you have COVID, you're okay at the moment, you might not be okay in a couple of days, so come back type of scenario, much the same way, you know, I hate to make draw the comparison, but much the same way, um, that we talk to people who have influenza or at risk of a bad outcome, um, and you know, the conversation is quite the same. It's you know, well, you have the flu. It can be it can be very dangerous in elderly or immune suppressed or at risk people, um, and you may need to be hospitalized uh, either today or um, in the next several days. And that conversation is one that we're having, not necessarily per provider per shift but on a pretty regular basis still certainly.
0: And I remember recently we've been talking about treatments, more treatments that have been available and more frequent use of yeah. like the the infusions and stuff is that still happening?
1: It is, um, you know, the monoclonal antibodies, um, are, um, in use in the county, um, either in the ER or at a little infusion center that has been set up. Um, and so those options exist for people who, you know, there's some data to suggest that they would benefit, actually pretty good data to suggest they would benefit, um, from the antibody treatment. It is an IV infusion. It takes a bit of time um and it's fairly safe in terms of its um profile so we we recommend it for people who meet the criteria of administration um it's not something that we typically are always able to do in the emergency room so sometimes uh, people are told to come back you know during during banker's hours to get the infusion or to follow up at the infusion center um and that's That's one way we manage it. We also do actually get a fair number of tests on people um, and send them home before we have the result because it can take up to two hours. Um, And if that test is positive, then we will contact them and tell them to come back at such and such a time to get the monoclonal antibodies.
0: Do you think that's one of the reasons we're not seeing the numbers of deaths that we were at the beginning of this Delta variant Spike. It's yeah. It
1: it it's helping certainly. I also think that a lot of people well, I know that um, there's a higher rate of vaccine uptake amongst the at-risk population. So while vaccination rate in this county is still not super great, I think it's just above seventy percent of eligible population. Uh, I think the rate of people who are at risk, so the elderly in particular and the people with significant comorbidities, um, have a much higher vaccination rate. And that really is driving the numbers down more than anything else.
0: Okay. So one more question. Um, the, there has been some talk about recommendations. I'm not sure if it was from the CDC, but, um, somebody official talking about mixing and matching boosters. Did you track that?
1: Oh yes. No, boosters are really the, the topic of the moment, um, for certain. Um, and you know, the, the, I think it is actually on Monday, shortly after our show, in fact, or maybe it's Tuesday morning, that the uh, CDC uh, authorized uh, the use of the mix and match boosters, which I I think was a good decision. The data, uh, you know, it's not incredibly robust data, but there is data showing that mix and match. is going to be slightly more beneficial on a population basis, let's just be very clear about that. On an individual basis, it probably has a trivial um, difference, um, if that. Um, but it also allows just sort of more liberal use of available vaccines. So you can you can mix and match in a way that is just much more efficient um, in terms of getting people's immunity um, bumped up. And then, additionally, you know the the J and J now is you know fully available to everybody as a second dose or one of the MRNAs if people have initially received the J and J. So there's there's quite a bit going on, and over the course of the last week or two regarding boosters, you know, all of it with the sort of red flag caveat that we really shouldn't be you know, blowing through our vaccine supply on a worldwide basis to boost people when there's still well under, you know, 40% of the the world population that's been vaccinated.
0: Have you been tracking those efforts globally to, to boost the vaccination rates? I mean, what is going on? Why can't we seem to do this?
1: Well, we've never been able to do this, right? I mean, the healthcare delivery of any vaccine to any, you know, developing country has always lagged um, delivery to any of the um, more, more wealthy countries. And that's, that's just been a historical fact of the inequality of distribution of medicine and COVID really isn't any different. It's just sort of laying bare um, that difference. Uh, and, and, you know, the Perhaps the main difference is that this has all happened so fast that the, the risk of blowback from a developing country to Western country or more wealthy countries is quite real. And that if you know, we continue to see low vaccination rates in, say, Africa, we're going to most likely see some sort of strain emerge from there that could then you know blow through the rest of the world yet again. So there's really significant um wealthy country risks in this hoarding of the vaccine and administration of boosters um, in this country and in other countries without pushing for a worldwide effort. And, you know, there's there's been tepid efforts to correct it. Moderna, I think, just announced that they're going to ship 110 or sell rather 110 million doses to Africa. But that's, that's really just a drop in the buck in terms of what is required. And, you know, it should be, should be stated that moderna received a rather hefty check from the u.s government to develop and produce their vaccine so the u.s government certainly has the capacity to um, force or compel moderna to take a slightly more um, proactive stance
0: okay so what else you got for the update um, pediatric vaccines are
1: right around the corner. I mean, when I say pediatric, I'm talking about children um, under the age of 12. So the 5 to 11 age group that will probably, it may be authorized um, by neck well, certainly by our on our on our semi-monthly show. So within the next 10 days, I imagine we're going to see that authorized for children ages 5 to 11, and that's the uh, that's the Pfizer uh, vaccine that's going to be. Uh, rolled out and approved i suspect it's you know it's under review and has to go to the cdc and the fda for emergency use but that will probably happen within the next 10 days
0: wow so do you uh do you know of any efforts locally to prepare for that um in terms of yeah, rolling I- out the vaccine to kids here
1: so, yeah, no, all the, all the local healthcare centers um, and the pediatrics and UCI and all the all those local agencies that have been administering vaccines are, are sort of standing by waiting for um, the authorization to go through. And then efforts will be made to contact uh, the families of the children in this age group to come in and get their first of the two dose regimens. And now these are these are obviously little people, so they're going to get a little dose. It's going to be one third the adult dose.
0: Oh, one third. We, the earlier yeah. you were talking about one half, but it's even less than that. It's, it's
1: one. The, the boosters are going to be one half. So the 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 mRNA boosters are one half, but for the pediatrics five to eleven, it's one third.
0: I'm sure all of the kids are thrilled to hear that.
1: Hey, I can tell you, as the father of an 11 year old, she is ready to be Im- immunized. Well, she, she, she's
0: she, the one she, member of your household who yes, hasn't gotten there. She,
1: she, she does not like to be the, the, the one vulnerable person in our household, but, you know, so be it.
0: All right. Well, are you ready to open the phone lines?
1: Sure, let's go for it.
0: Okay, so it's uh, this is the local coronavirus update. I'm Alicia Bales. I'm live in the Talmadge studio, and Dr. Drew Colfax is zooming in today. Uh, the number here in the studio is 707-895-2448, and we already have our first call, so let's go ahead and take that. Good morning, caller. You are live on the air. Caller, go ahead. Try that again, <laughs> so, caller. Sorry. Start again. Okay.
2: All right. Well, can, uh, am I coming through loud and clear now?
0: You are. My apologies.
2: Okay. <laughs> well, likewise. So thank you both for the program. So the question is, when a fully vaccinated adult contacts the virus, when can he get the booster?
1: Yeah, so that, that that's a good question. That's one that I have to address Um regularly at work um, because you know i'm often diagnosing people who are either unvaccinated or vaccinated with a breakthrough infection and, and generally the recommendation um, now has settled on about 10 days to two weeks after you have no symptoms um, so after resolution of your okay. symptoms give it about 10 days thank to two you. weeks and then you can get the booster very good Th- thank, you. Th- thank you you're welcome all right. And the sort of the corollary of that question is if you have an asymptomatic infection um, that was just detected on a screening test, for example, then, then 10 days after that positive test, um, if you've continued to have no symptoms, you can get the booster after that. All right. Well,
2: that answers that. Great. Thank, Thank you, you, doctor.
0: Thanks for the call. Lines are open. It's 707-895-2448. This is the new time slot of the local coronavirus update. Same information, same Dr. Colfax, uh, but just a different time slot here on KZYX. And we're going to continue to do it uh, at 9 a.m. on the second and fourth Tuesdays of the month. So scaling back a bit, um, but still still coming regularly to provide coronavirus info.
1: We will remain nimble. I mean, to be certain, it's still, you know, I I don't mean to sound like things are kind of in the bag. I mean, the U.S. um, death count from COVID right now is around 1,500 people a day, um, which is more or less the same as the number of people that um, die daily in the U.S. from all cancers. So COVID is really still the leading single cause of death on a daily basis in this country, even though uh, things are significantly improved. And even though we have a vaccine that would uh, protect against, you know, death in, you know, probably 92% of the cases if if people are fully vaccinated.
0: All right. It's 707-895-2448. We have another call. Good morning, caller. You are live on the air.
1: Good
3: morning. Thanks for taking my call. And thanks for the show. Um, I'm curious if you got any good resources on the pediatric vaccine, looking at um, sort of the risks that are out there for children in that um, new age group versus the risks of vaccination versus the risks of severe um, reaction to the actual COVID infection. Um, Sure. Yeah, that's
1: that that's the that is really the 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 question um that the committee's um looking at and weighing because yeah you know, and no but nobody wants to give their kid a medicine that's potentially dangerous and you know the committee reviewing this certainly doesn't want to authorize that and then find out that you know that either the dosing was wrong or that there's greater risk of side effects so in general there is you know the the main risk that has sort of settled out From the vaccine um, is uh, myocarditis, so this inflammatory condition um, in the heart um, that is generally pretty brief and generally pretty mild and generally not dangerous. Um, But there have been you know fairly regular reports of myocarditis, particularly in young people, um, particularly in young men in general, um, of this happening as a response to the vaccine. It is thought, now to be sure it is thought, it's not known yet, but it's thought that this is going to be occurring at the same sort of incidence or the same prevalence um, in the uh, 5 to 11-year-old cohort, um, even with a smaller dose as it has been in the younger adult population. What that translates to, however, is a risk of this inflammatory heart condition that is Lower than the risk of this inflammatory heart condition in children from those who contact COVID, and to put that put that in context, um, yeah, the current data uh, we've had around. Uh, nearly two million children um, in the age five to eleven um, cohort who have been infected with COVID, uh, and around eight to nine thousand of those have been hospitalized, um, which is a, a pretty significant number. Um, it's Currently in the top 10 causes of mortality uh, for children ages 5 to 11, which translates to um, around 100, maybe slightly over 100 deaths um, in this country since the pandemic began. Of children ages five to eleven, um, and so that's that's not a lot of kids nationwide. Um, but you know, kids you know, generally shouldn't be dying from anything at that point. And the fact that it's in the top ten risks of mortality tells us that this is a significant um, disease burden on 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 children, on young children. Um, now, to get back to your question about the risk of the vaccine, I talked about myocarditis. That is really pretty much the leading risk factor, the leading identified risk associated with the vaccine. There are others there are other, are other um, side effects that have been reported and certainly detected. Um, but the leading one that is causing most practitioners concern is this small but quantifiable risk of myocarditis. We know, however, that a approximately three times greater risk of myocarditis exists if you contract COVID as an unvaccinated individual. Um, and that, that is across all age categories. And so, you know, as people are doing this risk-benefit analysis to decide whether this vaccine should be approved, I I strongly suspect, as do most people who track this, that the data um, and the known science is going to come down on the side of the Approval, um, you know, the approval side of the equation. But it does require a lot of extrapolation of data. The study in the children was relatively small, as most pediatric medication trials are. Um, it involved around 4,000 children, which is not very many if you're trying to pick up rare adverse events. And so there's a lot of extrapolation of data from older age groups. Um, there's a lot of extrapolation of information regarding how we know children's immune systems work, um, which is how they arrived at this one third sized dose. But there are a lot of variables, which is why this is not something that they can just simply, you know, release the, release the study and, and rubber stamp the approval process. But it's a good question. It's really one that, you know, I think is keeping a lot of people um, at their desk uh, working hard at to try to make sure that the right decision is made. Well,
3: okay. thanks. And that, just to clarify, that 4,000 children's study, that was with the
1: Pfizer vaccine? Yeah. So we're only talking about the Pfizer right now because that's the only one that has fully submitted the data for review. Um, the Moderna is in works. I don't even know if the J&J... I I I'd have to review where the J and J stands in its pediatric studies.
3: Okay. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, And they're just I'm just again in terms of my own like passing this on. Are there places that have easily digestible um, summaries of that, like risk analysis that I could pass on to other parents that are curious about it who aren't listening to the show right now?
1: Yeah, it's it's really unfortunately it's really hard to sort of say, yes, you should go to this website or that website. Um, you know, I've read the the, the, the study, um, and it was a good study, but there's not there's not a single spot or a single source of information that you can go to that's gonna summarize it. In a way that's you know concise, um, digestible, and and particularly helpful. Um, so you know, encourage people to reach out to their practitioners, to their pediatricians. Um, listen to this show, call in. You know, continue the conversation. But in terms of a source that I can steer you to, there's just not one or two really good ones that that sort of summarize it as far as I can as far as I can identify.
3: Okay. Well, thank you again for your time today. I really appreciate the answer. No, you're welcome.
0: All right. Thank you very much, caller. Um, and the lines are open. It's 895 2448 895 2448 I see people um, trying to get in. Keep trying. <laughs> 707-895-2448. Here's another caller. Good morning, caller. You're live on the air.
4: Hello. Um, I have a question about an event that's coming up in 2022. And I realized okay. that Dr. Colfax may not be able to predict the future here, but um, I am one of the folks who helps to plan an annual conference that happens here on the coast has been happening the first weekend in August for about over 30 years. We had to do the conference online in 2020 and in 2021, and we really hope to return to an in-person conference in 2022. And this involves bringing about 100 people to the coast for a, Three-day event, and I'm just wondering if everyone who is currently vaccinated who wants to come to this conference next August um, will will it matter that they're now vaccinated? Will it be safe to meet together in a in an indoor space next August, um, even if we're now currently vaccinated?
1: Now, when you say now, currently vaccinated, you're 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 referencing obliquely, perhaps the fact that eight, you know eight months or nine, ten months from now, your immunity is going to wane. Um, perhaps. Yeah, but I guess that's my question. Yeah. So the answer is yes. I mean, the booster, the booster question remains a little bit squishy. To be sure, um, it might be that six to eight months from now, we'll have better data to support the use or the strong recommendation of a booster um, as immunity continues to wane or if it continues to wane. I wouldn't be surprised if we see that happen, in which case your 100 guests would be well served to be boosted before next August's event. But barring some new um, more virulent um, strain and a you know a yet another major surge I think it's going to be almost certainly reasonably safe to have that event go forward live in person indoors by next August. You know, two years ago, or 22 months ago, I guess it is, 21 months ago, I would not have predicted that I was still sitting here talking about COVID on KZYX. Um, I just, I don't think very many people saw this as a... Years long pandemic of this scale, um, and so will it continue by next August? Yeah, there certainly is going to be COVID. There's going to be COVID, uh, you know, in and amongst our lives for the remainder of our lives, unfortunately. But it's going to become a background type of illness, much like many of the other illnesses that we deal with, um, without without turning our lives upside down. It's just still really prominent, um, still. Causing a very significant amount of morbidity and mortality in this country. I think by next August, that has going to have attenuated considerably. I sure hope you're right.
4: So, if the participants are required to be vaccinated and have received a booster shot, you think it's probably safe for them
1: to attend? Yeah, I think that that's that's my best estimate um, of where things will be, you know, 10 months from now. Um, Yeah, that's that's obviously a very rough estimate, but I think it'd be reasonable for you and your participants to start anticipating and planning for a live in-person type of event.
4: Yeah, that's what we're doing. We're looking forward to returning to that. Um, would, aren't, you aren't we all? That, would you suggest that that would be a requirement of attending, that you've not only been vaccinated, but you've also received a booster?
1: I, I don't think that that's a necessary. I would not um, be in favor of necessarily requiring the booster, at least okay. not with the data that we have as of yet. I would make the initial um, one or two shot or the two shot um, series a requirement uh, for something like that, but the booster is really it. It the uh, unboosted risk to your attendees. So, so the risk of your attendees being in a room with somebody who has not received the booster versus somebody who has received the booster. That difference in risk is so small as to be you know almost unmeasurable. I should I should say.
4: Okay. Well, you've been very helpful. Thanks for this information
1: you're
0: welcome all right thank you caller and isn't that sort of the new normal that we're heading for if we're going to have gatherings
1: yeah i i think i think it is i mean you know honestly i think as we continue to move you know months into the fall and winter that the slow trickle of the uh vaccinated amongst us is going to continue to drive these rates up you know in addition there's there's just increasing percentage of natural immunity amongst the people who have continued to not want the vaccine. Um, and that's going to continue to bring numbers down as well.
0: But it's so weird about COVID that you can get it multiple times. Well, you can get, you can
1: get a lot of illnesses multiple times. There are very few illnesses that you just are one and done with, right? I mean, so particularly when you're talking about infectious diseases, they they'll come back over and over and over again. um, you know, and as as a healthcare practitioner who generally did not wear a mask during flu season at work, which seems bizarre to me now, um, you know, I, I would get the flu vaccine every year, but I would also have a fairly high exposure to the influenza vaccine at work, you know, every season. And, you know, maybe I would get the flu once or twice in my vaccinated state, but my my immunity was so um exposed to that on such a regular basis that it was never a very significant disease uh for me or my fellow er
0: workers all right we have another call whoops no right. i lost him we had we, we had, had another yes. call um we go ahead and call back caller here you are good morning caller you are live on the air good morning thank you dr
5: colfax thank you alicia i am ready to get my booster and i've had the j and j so i'm i want to know if there are any benefits or drawbacks to having another j and j or to having a pfizer um i just want to know if there's a difference
1: not not really actually um you know the main point in terms of the booster or the third shot whatever you want to call it. Uh, the main point is that if you have had the J and J, I would strongly recommend that you get a second shot, um, and that that is sort of the the where the data is the strongest. The one dose J and J. Uh, protection is just not nearly as good as we would like to see Um, and so you in particular are exactly right in wanting a second shot but as to which flavor of shot that is there's not really good data Um, and so a second J&J or a Moderna or the Pfizer are all more or less going to be equally um, efficacious.
0: All right and that caller took her answer on the air. So we've got another caller on the line. Good morning, caller. You're live on the air.
1: Good morning. So I didn't hear the doctor mention on-site testing for indoor. So, um, or is that something that won't be required uh, for indoor events for, I'm not sure what the capacity or what the amount of people is for having an indoor event. I just...
0: Th- that's a great
1: question. You didn't mention, mention that, and I was wondering, is that going to be, if I go to an indoor event, Is will there be on-site testing required? Yeah, that that that's a great question, and and the U.S. really hasn't had a lot of on-site testing um, rollouts, really, and and that that is a shame, or it was a shame during sort of these more intense um, periods of COVID burden uh, when people were still gathering. Um, it would have been ideal to have a quick, cheap, um, reasonably um, reliable test that we could have had at. Um, at any of these gatherings um, prior to entering the site, I don't see that becoming a requirement. I really don't see that becoming um, a feature of our daily lives anytime soon. I don't think that the political will is there. There's also, you know, to be clear, not a lot of great medical or uh, epidemiologic support for it. Um, because it creates a lot of it creates a lot of transaction costs to enter an event, um, and any quick test is going to be somewhat less reliable, which is going to result in false positives, positives which then need to be verified, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of sort of unforeseen consequences of that type of um, program, and so I, I just don't think that that is going to become a requirement with perhaps potentially um schools but again with vaccines now becoming or soon to become eligible for children ages five and up i, I think that's going to become rendered a fairly moot point quickly
0: all right and is that have the have the uh kind of quick tests become more effective more reliable over the time of the pandemic i mean how reliable are they mm-hmm.
1: Well, they're you know their their sensitivity is 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 pretty pretty good, uh, which is to say you can you can believe a positive generally generally. Um, their specificity is not great um, compared to sort of the lab PCR tests. They but they're they're good they're good you know the the over the counter you can buy for two tests for nineteen dollars or you could until they sold out. Um, the Binax test is is a reliably good test. It would have been fairly easy to have something like that, you know, deployed in a large um, manner um, months ago. We're kind of getting to a point where that kind of a militarized major testing effort is a moot point. Um, now that that could change with a new variant, but, you know, we don't really know whether these, any new variant is going to, you know, work with the tests that are currently formulated. So there, there's there's still some questions there, um, but they're they're a good test. It just it took a while for them to be developed and be um, available.
0: All right, let's take our next call. Oops, call yep. back, caller. I guess I'm not getting to them fast enough. 895-2448. Hello, caller, you're live on the air.
5: Hi, so I have questions about employer mandates in the hospitality industry. I understand the postering. And we have that down, um, those kind of separations. But what I need to know is, is it legitimate, for example, to um, ask employees to vaccinate, require that they vaccinate? Um, What do you do about young employees if they're masked but they're people home from college or in high school that are bussing in your restaurant? And how do you implement any of these mandates? How do you enforce anything? And then what about on the customer end?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, that, that's a good question. It's really one that I think public health, particularly in this county, has, um, struggled mightily over, um, to put it mildly. Um, it's, it's almost impossible to enforce it, um, and, requiring it um you know is going to result in friction between any employer and employees particularly since it's a requirement that you know unfortunately has to be delivered by the employer rather than by the county or the state or the federal government um and so I, I think that is, frankly, an unfair burden on any small business owner to require it. Um, the, the county has decided, particularly in the hospitality and food service industry, to you know, opt for these color-coded placards that are going to, I guess, appear on restaurants throughout the county in the next week or two, um, telling people how many people are vaccinated at that place of employment versus um, versus not. Whether that's a reasonable compromise, or not i you know i i don't see that really changing um people's behavior all that much but you know in terms of in the spirit of being informed as a public consumer of services i i I think it's a laudable um a compromise i i do however you know wish that there had been and still argue that there should be um, a mandatory vaccine requirement for, you know, big businesses and for any governmental organization or any organization that receives um, federal or state funds, those organizations just should be required to uh, vaccinate. And that should be a state directive. It shouldn't be the directive of the person sitting in the back office at at, at the local A&P. Right.
5: Well, these posters attest what our protocols are inside. So they tell the public either that everyone who works there is masked, or um, vaxed, or tested um, tested weekly is what it says on there. So is it on us to implement some kind of a tracking system for employees to be able to back up with? Well, posters apparently, right? Because there's,
1: there's, there's there sure isn't a county. There certainly is not a governmental. Um... You know, tracking system in place for, to support you, right? So this is, this is, you know, an unfunded mandate um, from p- public health, um, you know, without, without support is least my impression i mean maybe business owners are you know being told or maybe there's a mobile testing center that goes to each place of business and tests people on a weekly basis so they will have that reliable data that they're required to post i don't see that happening and if that's how public health is spending their efforts, then that is misguided indeed
5: in, in mendocino it's kind of broken because what they have is uh, the weekly testing once a week that is at the community center from 7 to 11, Mondays, community. But um, the rapid testing, which they actually said they would give me to distribute, but then it had a protocol where I couldn't do the secondary testing. So they said they'd send me 7,800 rapid tests so every person in my town could get tested twice a week, all the hospitality people. But then the paperwork that went with it, I couldn't substantiate or provide. And so we have a public health team coming from the state to vaccinate, um, uh, I'm sorry, to test people weekly and rapid tests that we can't get even though they've approved me for shipment. So there's yeah, a... that. Another question and is, is about gathering. I had booked someone yeah. I really would like to, I've already um, canceled him twice, to come up and play. He's a social commentary songwriter. Is it, is it safe for me to have an event?
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the the safety at this point is, you know, it, it's it's relatively assured if, if the attendees are vaccinated and it's it's completely not if they aren't, um, which is why. I think
5: that's what I should do if I have a performance person coming to perform in my um, in one of my places that I should have a proof of vaccination requirement with the ticket yeah. or something?
1: Yeah, that that's that's the safest thing to do by far. Um and that's that's really what should have and should be required for any, you know, major indoor or even moderately sized indoor gathering at this point. Um and okay, why so the been...
5: compromise would be for my employees that are working that event to have to be vaccinated also and not have any people that aren't vaccinated at the event.
1: Right, and so that's that's the problem. And as your as your experience illustrates, you know the workarounds become this logistically entangled, bureaucratic, incompetent nightmare uh, for you, where you're you know told to do something. Your paperwork is you know laborious, and the tests may or may not be available when they should or should not be available. And so it it, the the workarounds. What's that? Or to whom they should be available, right? No, exactly. And, and you know this—you know th- this—could be solved if your employees simply had to be vaccinated. And that shouldn't be something that you're requiring. That should be something that the county's requiring. Um, well, and the, and but that bridge
5: inst- thing, the rapid tests are a bridge because they're—you know—they're rapid, 15 minutes. They're binary, yes or no, yeah. pink or you know, yeah. pink or blue, you are or aren't. And that's yes. that's a really good tool for us to be able to use if we could have it for screening our employees. And maybe even yeah. our guests sit down. Fifteen minutes, we'll give you a table if it's pink. It,
1: that. That would be great, but I don't know if you know. I don't know then how you you know present that to the county health because that's just that's a the little problem. Q-tip, right? And so, you know, without any sort of you know database and QR code scanners and you know information that you can immediately transmit to somebody somewhere, none of that. Then that's why can someone place. go in a
5: drugstore and buy rapid tests and discriminate for themselves whether they're infected?
1: Well, sure, you can do that. Um, but you know, whether you're going to that you know, this is akin to the um, you know, you don't need to wear a mask if you're vaccinated, uh, right. phase that way through, right? For, right? So I'm
5: just saying we it, could have that. We could have tests available at least and yes. our employees be tested
1: like the kids yes. at school now. Yes, and and, and most, most developed countries have, you know, very robust data management systems on, addressing just this issue. But we haven't even you know, we haven't been even we haven't even been able to, you know, develop and um, implement a robust contact tracing in the last 20 months of this pandemic in this country, let alone sort of a rapid, verifiable COVID testing protocol for people attending events such as yours. I, I hear your frustration. I really do. Um and I, I, you know, though I am a very strong advocate of the efficacy and safety of the vaccine, I really don't think it should be incumbent upon you to require your employees to be vaccinated. That should be coming from somebody who is paid to make these hard decisions. And mm-hmm. that's not you, <laughs> uh, right? Especially the young it,
5: people. I'm not there. I don't have to be everybody's, I can't be everybody's mother.
1: No, exactly. Nor, nor, nor should you, or nor do you want to be. Um, and you know, it's 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 really a public health responsibility. It's not just this county, though. To be fair, as much as I like to, you know, draw attention to the shortcomings of this county's uh, performance, it's really a national shortcoming. Um, and unfortunately, we've just you know followed the trend line on this
5: right well i think if we could have them available i think people in mendocino would throw down to buy them if we could just have them so that we could you know it's a middle road that rapid test but i don't seem to be able to get direct access
1: no, well well you know you know due to sort of a tragically or not tragically but perhaps business inept decision the company that made these um stepped back its production so there's a massive national shortage of this rapid test right now um yeah, and that's
5: they, they, The state told me they have them ready to ship seven thousand eight hundred of them to ship to me because they approved my application, but I can't follow through. So there you go. When hand not doing, yeah, what the I, other
1: is doing. And no, but in terms of going to the store and just buying them, I mean that's just not an option um, unless it's changed in last week. Okay. Oh well. But good right. call. I all hear right. your all frustration. Right. I really do. Um, no, it's okay. And... We just all want to do the right thing. Yep. No, I, I. Don't we all, right? Yep. <laughs> um, yep.
5: And yeah, right. you are, and thank you so much,
1: the two of you. Oh, of um, course.
0: Thank you for the call. Uh, I think yeah. that brings up uh, just a lot of questions about the signage policy and uh, how how um, sound the evidence is that this is something that actually works and also the burden that it places on the business owners and also the the fact that it doesn't protect employees i mean what what employees are gonna you know advocate for their their boss to require vaccinations you know they're just they're going into a workplace where they don't have a lot of agency about the environment that the, that they're that they're working in so and the safety of it i don't know i think there's a lot of really good questions that need to be asked about this policy because it seems like it just kind of came up as an idea and everybody thought well that'll be a good kind of middle ground let's go with that but i don't know is there any evidence that something like that works is, are any other communities doing that signage policy
1: i you know I, i'm sure there are other communities that's certainly not a national um you know directive or effort in that regard um and your point is well taken i mean i if I were a vaccinated employee working in a place of business of, say, 50 employees, I would certainly want my fellow employees to be vaccinated, right? And a yellow sign on the door saying we don't have, you know, high rate of vaccination uptake amongst our employees does nothing to protect me as that employee. Um, and so it it really is, it, it's flawed in many respects, Um in terms, but in terms of your question about the data on this, I mean, no, there's no data to suggest that this is, you know, helpful in any way whatsoever. Um, and I suspect there's good reason to believe that it's actually harmful because it's, you know, attenuating what should be a robust and continued and sustained public health effort to encourage every single eligible person in this country to, to get vaccinated um and this simply gives people an out gives employers an out
0: all right so you have another caller i hope you're still on the air caller are you live
1: yes oh,
2: all right hey um i thank you very much for your work there um I have a friend in another part of the country who, who texts me this, and this is in quotes, and it's a quote. He's really Internet. He's all over the Internet. He's got kids and trying to get them shots and whatnot. But here's what he texted me. Uh, he says, uh, I got my Moderna booster yesterday. You should think about getting one, too. Check this out. And I have a Johnson & Johnson first shot long ago in March, uh, So he says, the results for people who initially received a Johnson & Johnson vaccine were particularly striking. Those receiving a Johnson & Johnson booster saw antibodies go up just fourfold. Switching to a Pfizer-BioNTech booster raised antibody levels by a factor of 35. A Moderna booster raised them 76-fold. Uh, I I wonder if, if you know that information or is it true
1: yeah no it those i can't i can't corroborate those particular numbers i'm not sure where those were pulled from um off the internet um what we know um in your case for example since you got the j and j back in march or thereabouts right. um that we know that your immunity has attenuated considerably particularly against this Delta strain. Um, And so you are definitely, I agree with your friend's assessment, that you should definitely be vaccinated. Um, What we know in terms of each one of these vaccines as a second or third shot um, is that it produces more durable and stronger immunity The the numbers that you are reading out there in terms of Moderna being 70 and the Pfizer being 40 and the J&J being fourfold boost in immunity, that doesn't really translate to the numbers that I've been seeing in terms of um, durability of sustained immunity. Um, What I've been seeing is that... Any one of those three vaccines in your particular case is going to boost your immunity somewhere in the region of 10 to 15, maybe as much as 20 fold um, over the course of several months. Um, perhaps the data that you're seeing now, I'm ascribing a lot to just an internet search, which I probably shouldn't do, but perhaps the data that um, your friend is citing is, you know, the boost in the antibodies, you know, over a very short duration, over 24 hours or 48 hours, because you can see considerable variances in that antibody spiking response um, over a very short duration, whereas the longer term, which is really what we're all more interested in, um, the immunity um, is more or less equally efficacious um, in in this type of scenario. Yeah,
2: thanks. Uh, Another thing I I was hearing is that the Johnson and Johnson should initially have been a two-shot series anyway. So I, I, I I'm having trouble trusting almost anything I hear. Yeah.
1: Well that and that's you know, that is frustrating, right? Because we we've been hearing so much about you know these vaccines and we've been watching science unfold in real time in a very right. uncomfortable way. The yeah. J&J vaccine was intentionally developed and tested as a one-dose vaccine because the hope and thought was it would be sufficiently um, effective to really allow massive worldwide deployment to um, bring down the rates of transmission quickly. And it was that type of vaccine. Right now, it had hiccups because there were some, you know, initial scares that it was causing Guillain-Barre, um, some of these autoimmune demyelinating diseases. That more or less fell to the side, but it it fatally crippled um, the J&J rollouts in a significant way. There was... However, the recognition at least among immunologists and virologists and public health officials that it was likely going to be subsequently found to be much more effective as a two-dose series. And anyway, they knew that they knew that because um, other adenovirus vaccines that were developed um, you know, in other contexts, such as Ebola, um, was not going to work as a one-dose vaccine. It was going to be a, at least a two-dose vaccine, and it was thought and expected that this would become one as well. The messaging perhaps could have been better, but it's it's really hard to define a sort of massive public um, messaging campaign around a one-dose vaccine with an asterisk saying, you know, second dose, you know, may, need, may be needed, you know, six to 12 months later, right? And so it, it was a difficult, um, you know. It was a difficult way, it was a difficult vaccine to present in a way that was going to be coherent and accepted. Um, but confusion, yes, there has been plenty, right?
2: Well, meanwhile, I'm tempted to believe my friend's paragraph and choose the Moderna for my booster shot because
1: you know i i don't see you're not going to go wrong with any of them um and on an individual basis they're all totally fine in your scenario so Moderna we know produces sort of the best longest most durable immunity as a two dose um vaccine as it has been approved um you know after six to eight months some people might want to get um a half-sized third dose or a booster um but you know the the benefits of the Moderna as compared to the Pfizer or the uh, J&J in the form of a booster are really quite quite tiny, um, if at all, on an individual basis. Um, okay. And so, you know, get the one that you feel most comfortable with, but by all means, get a booster because you're not as immune as you would like to be or as you should be with just a single dose j and J. I I believe that. Thanks so much. I'll let somebody else talk now. Okay. Right. Thank
0: you. Bye. Thank you for the call. <laughs> Bye. Um, great. We do have an email question that I think is appropriate to follow that, that caller with and that is, um, I'm interested in getting a J&J booster. I understand that they are approved but not yet available. Do you have any information on when and where I can get one? I live in Anderson Valley but the health center here will not be carrying J&J in the future. Thanks David in Boonville.
1: Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I know that a lot of the health centers have stopped carrying J&J because there was very little uptake um, after the initial series of vaccines were administered. I, I think public health is still getting some and has the capacity to distribute some. Um, but that would have to be, you know, that would have to be addressed with public health directly. I, I'm not 100 percent certain as to whether that is uh, happening.
0: What about the pharmacies?
1: The pharmacies. Good question. Um, They may be administering J and J in this county still. I haven't seen that recently, Um, but it's certainly possible. Um, You know, it it is worth a phone call um, at least, or several to the local pharmacies to see if they are carrying or will be carrying the J&J. There is plenty of J&J available nationwide. I just don't think there are a lot of providers or clinics in this county that are still stocking it and administering it.
0: But you do think it's a, it's a good choice along with the other two? pfizer and moderna it's it's a fair enough choice right to, for the booster oh, yeah.
1: no as i yeah as i just said with a previous caller it, it's a fine option um as a as a second dose uh, vaccine um it's there's there's really no reason to go with an mrna over the second uh, j&j vaccine uh, because it does really bring up the immunity to a very good level um Maybe at a trivial, um, you know, trivial point, it, it's going to be less effective than perhaps the um, Moderna, but not on an individual basis. Those numbers are going to be, you know, just so infinitesimally small you won't see until you start to talk about millions of people immunized.
0: Got it. So on a wide scale, you can see the statistics, but for an individual, yes. it's going to provide it, you it, significant.
1: Exactly. Protection. We're just really starting to split hairs at that point.
0: Well, you know what? We are almost out of time
1: we are almost out of time remarkably fast <laughs> It's I, really you know. fast.
0: <laughs> this is the local coronavirus update in its new time slot on the second and fourth tuesday mornings alternating with mind body health i'm alicia bales live here in the studio speaking with dr drew colfax who is in points beyond zooming in zoom zoom so okay so we've got you know maybe um, a minute or so left any final thoughts as we head into the halloween weekend for folks
1: Oh, just go enjoy Halloween. It's an outdoor event. You know, there's a lot of angst and gnashing of teeth around the county fair, and we really didn't see any major uptick from that. Um, You know, Halloween is not something that's indoors. Um, It's, you know, kids outside having fun. I don't think that the risks at this point from that are significant enough to cancel um, trick-or-treating or anything like that. The risks are certainly much greater from all the junk food that people are going to eat than from the the COVID that's still amongst us.
0: So try not to overdo it. Brush your teeth.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Brush your teeth.
0: Now, you know, indoor Halloween
1: parties, you know, amongst young people, I don't know if this county does that, but that that's a
0: different analysis. All right, so try to keep the festivities outside.
1: As always, yes.
0: All right, well, we'll be back on November 9th at 9 a.m. Thanks,
1: Drew. Thank you, Alicia. Thank you, callers. Be safe. Thanks, callers,
0: and we'll talk with you in a couple weeks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This has been the local coronavirus update podcast with Dr. Drew Colfax, produced by Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, KZYX, Philo, 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah, 91.5 FM and 88.1 FM in Fort Bragg, California. You can also hear us live on the web 24 hours a day at www.kzyx.org. If you'd like to listen live and call in to the local coronavirus update, you can find us in our new time every second and fourth Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific time. Our live studio call-in number is 707-895-2448. You can also email your questions anytime at dj at kzyx.org. And you can always catch us right here as a podcast, KZYX Local Coronavirus Update with Dr. Drew Colfax. Our theme music is Bad News Blues by Lucinda Williams, and our outro music is a song called Stump Town, composed and performed by Zach Borden. I'm Alicia Bales. We'll see you next time.